Yeah, it is the first time I've spoken here at G2 in quite a while. I used to speak regularly, then got ill for a while. So it's about a year and a half I haven't spoken. So it's really nice to be back. And um, I do feel quite humble in, in speaking again. I'm not as confident as I used to be, a little bit nervous today. So I hope you bear with me. But I do think that I, uh, I have got something good to share with you. And it's not a particularly easy message um, either. To, this is a two-week series uh, and I'm speaking uh, uh, next week as well. Uh, this week is Samson, next week's Goliath. Now you're kind of used to hearing, if you've, if you've heard Bible stories before, if you've uh, ever been to Sunday school when you were a kid, if you've um, ever heard Tom Jones sing a song, you might have heard of Samson and Delilah, and you might have heard of David and Goliath. I think you probably don't have to uh, have grown up as a Christian, or even be a Christian now, to have ever heard of Samson and Delilah, or David and Goliath. Um, but I'm putting the two uh, characters, two of the characters from those pairs together in this series, and we're looking at Samson and Goliath. Uh, and we're looking specifically, because I kind of noticed when I was looking at these stories, I noticed that we think of Goliath, don't we, as a giant. He's referred to as a giant. We think of him as being an enormous Philistine, a big, powerful man, and David uh, kills him. Um, a bit of a spoiler for next week. Anyway, so he <laughs> chucks a stone at him and kills him. So we think of him being a giant, but personally, I'd never really connected Samson as being a giant as well. Now, he's not a giant in the sense of like an eight-foot enormous man. He's, he's different. He's a different kind of giant. But he is an enormously powerful man that purely through his physical presence is able to dominate over a whole tribe. That kind of, in my mind, that makes him a bit of a giant. Um, he was definitely a don't mess with me kind of character. He was probably more of a world's strongest man type of a character, Samson was, than a sort of eight foot basketball player kind of a character, if you want to have a picture in your mind of what these guys look like. Um, I wondered about asking Josh to model for us in, the, uh, in some sort of bodybuilder outfit, but we thought it would be distracting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we're looking basically at these stories because today Samson is a story of when the Jews, the Israelites, had the power. They had the giant. He was theirs. They were in the dominant position. Now, interestingly, the Jews were uh, under Philistine control, but it was kind of a mutual, you know, not fighting kind of a situation. It wasn't domination like when the Jews were in. Uh, uh, Babylon or, or Egypt, it was different to that. The Philistines just kind of were the ruling power and the Jews had their own way a bit as well. Um, but they kind of got away with stuff because Samson was so powerful. So they had this giant. And then we see the flip side, which we'll look at next week, when the Philistines had Goliath and they had the giant. They had power. So in this series, we're looking at power and strength. What happens when God gives the people of God uh, power, his people, power and strength. What happens? How do they use it? How do we use strength and power and influence? How do we handle it? How, do, how, do, how does it affect our relationship with God when we are in a position of power and strength? And then next week, looking at how do we use not having power? How do we handle situations when we're not in control and not powerful? And how does that affect our relationship with God? Because power is a pretty big thing, isn't it? A great definition for power... Um, is strength bridled. So whether you think about a, uh, 
a horse has an enormous amount of strength, can pull a lot of stuff. It's completely useless unless it's bridled uh, and controlled and harnessed, basically. That gives the horse power and not just strength. And you see people, don't you, who are strong but ill-disciplined and so therefore not particularly powerful. And then you also see people like, I don't know, Nelson Mandela or someone, who has power because he had strength and influence and he used it well. He harnessed it well. So that gave him power. So I think it's a helpful uh, definition as we start. Now, today, before I really get into this to the story of Samson, just to say the message of today is a little bit controversial. You might be okay with it, you might not be. Um, it's a little bit controversial in the sense that it's not very British, um, it's not very polite, um, and it doesn't really fit with our culture. It doesn't even, it's not even very Christian. Now, I say that in inverted commas, um, because of course it is in truth, but it's not what some of us can come to know by a sort of Christian, meek message. That's not what we've got today, because in Samson we've got this sort of anti-hero who who has an enormous amount of power and strength and gets it wrong all of the time, and God, not all the time, but some of the time, regularly, uh, and God blesses him anyway and anoints him with his spirit and uses him even in his failure. So that's not a very easy message. It's much easier next week because then we're looking at David where David says, oh, I have nothing. I'm but a small boy. I've only got these five stones and I'll just have a go with what God's given me. We like that message, don't we, in our culture? That's easy. We're comfortable with that because we're saying, oh, well, we're basically, we're, we're, it's very English. We've, we've got frightfully, uh, frightfully weak over the years and we really haven't got anything to offer the world and I hope, hopefully we won't offend anyone at all uh, and we'll just have a little go with the ever so minuscule thing that we have got. And hopefully God will be able to magnify it and glorify it to his name. And you just think, what on earth is that about? God has given us an enormous amount of gifts and strengths and talents and all sorts. And the Americans maybe are much better at saying, this is what I've got to offer the world and I'm going to flip and do it. Because <laughs> why not? And we've, we find that hard, I think, in our culture. So that's why t- today's message is a little bit difficult to receive because we've kind of got to get over a bit of cultural baggage to be able to say yes God has given me strengths which were gifts from from God I'm not going to shun them like a rude person receiving gifts and like a polite person I'm going to say thank you very much that's a very nice gift I'm going to use them you know as best as I can so um can we have our uh yeah there we go look at that that's probably something I think that's actually a, a photograph of the, the actual Samson. Um, so, um, okay, now what I'm going to do today is I'm going to tell you the story of Samson. It's four chapters in the Bible. Um, if you want to follow it uh, on your, it's 100, page 174 in the table Bibles. I'm not sure if you're using a different one where it is, but it's towards the start. Um, It's four chapters. What I'm not going to do today is read a bit of the Bible and then speak from it. We often do that. I'm not doing that today because there's four chapters and we just read it and then have to go home. So what I'm going to do is tell you the story. That's a good way of reading the Bible anyway, isn't it? It's someone to tell it verbally. It's how the Bible has been communicated for a lot of history. Um, You can read it at home uh, if you want. Uh, And I'm going to hopefully bring it alive to you a bit. So it's four chapters. I'm going to tell the story and as we go I'll hopefully draw some stuff out for you. Um, 
So we've got this very strong man, this kind of Herculean kind of weightlifter, a little, probably a little bit like Arnold Schwarzenegger, in the sense that he's an enormous bodybuilder, but probably a bit dim. Um, and uh, I don't know, you pick up from the story, Samson, that he's probably a little bit, you know, short of a picnic or whatever the phrase is. So uh, he's uh, too sandwich who's short of a picnic. He's not just short of a picnic. He's not, he's not just a man that doesn't have a picnic. He's too sandwich who's short of a picnic, okay? So <laughs> anyway, um, but he is very powerful. He gets used. They reckon Arnold Schwarzenegger probably could have won the presidency if he was born in America. So who knows why that's the case. But he's very big, he's enormous, he's got lots of power, lots of influence. It's probably quite a good picture of what Samson was like. Um, the context for this story is that uh, you've got Moses leads people out of Egypt, uh, Joshua takes them into the promised land, and then you have a whole series of judges who are the leaders of the Israelite nation. You've got 11 of them, Gideon's one of them, Deborah's one of them, there's loads of characters in there. So you've got 11 of those, and then they're waiting for the 12th, and then it is Samson. So that's a bit of uh, the background. Uh, and he's kind of uh, a um, Messiah-type figure because he's spoken of as a deliverer. So in the Bible, we, we often get hints towards Jesus before his time. We get prophecies about him, but also in the characters that you see in the Bible, you get hints towards Jesus. And that's not an accident. That's because it's always God's plan for Jesus to come. It wasn't like a plan B. Oh, rubbish. All these prophets weren't quite good enough. I'll have to send my own son. It was always the plan that Jesus would come along. Um, but the people in the Old Testament kind of replicate him a little bit in, in a not wholly there kind of a way, but almost replicating him. So we see traces of the Jesus story as we go. And that's important uh, because God is a rescuer he is a redeemer. He, in other words, he brings us back to him and he makes stuff right. And he's always wanted to do that uh, throughout the Old Testament and right up to today. So it's page 174 in your Bibles is where it starts. And we see the birth of, of Samson being announced by an angel of the Lord. Uh, and it's a miraculous birth. So there's the first obvious kind of Jesus tick box uh, that an angel appears to a lady who is unable to have children and says, you're going to have a child, you're to, you're to bring him up as a Nazarite. Um, and uh, I'll tell you a bit about more in a second. Um, but he will be the deliverer. Uh, in Judges 13, verse 5, you'll become pregnant and have a son uh, whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated for, to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So the fact that it's an angel is a bit of a hint. Uh, the fact that he is to be a Nazarite is a Jesus hint as well, because Nazarites uh, point the way towards Jesus. I don't know if you remember about a bit over a year ago, was it uh, Tom had his hair shaved, Christian preached on the Nazarite vow, uh, and Dave had his hair calf as well and took a Nazarite vow um, and Alistair Elms just already had his hair cut off. And, uh, so um, the Nazarite vow um, was a way of setting yourself apart for God. But there were Nazarites, there's three in the Bible who are called perpetual Nazarites. There's only three in the Bible uh, who were, in other words, Nazarites from birth to death. Uh, those are Samson, 
Samuel is an, also a perpetual Nazarite. He's a guy who chucks a whole load of oil onto uh, David and also Saul before him and anoints them king. And the other one is John the Baptist. And all of those guys are pointing the way to Israel's deliverer, to the, deliver, to the deliverer of the people of God. Um, then we see, so now this is a brilliant story because uh, the angel comes to the uh, mother of Samson, to Manoah's wife. We don't know who her name is, what her name is, but she come, he comes to uh, the wife of Manoah and says, you're going to have a kid, you need to bring him up as a Nazarite. Um, and uh, don't have a drink, don't shave his head and all that jazz. Don't let him go anywhere near a dead body. Uh, that's one of the Nazarite vows. Okay, so then she says, wow, that's amazing. Okay, I'll try and do that. She tells Manoah. Manoah, the husband, says, but how can this be the case and how can we bring a boy up uh, who's going to be so special? And he prays this to God. So the angel of the Lord appears then again to his wife, which is amazing, isn't it, that he doesn't appear to the guy who has the question. He appears to the wife of the guy who has the question. So the wife then says, Oh, yeah, okay, you're here again. Right, well, my husband's got a question. I'll just go find him. Please, will you wait there, angel of the Lord? So then goes and gets Manoah. Manoah goes and he, he has a question. He asks the question, and the angel doesn't answer that question and says, what I've already said, basically, to your wife. You just bring him up as a Nazarite. Crack on, mate. And um, then he says, but how can we know your name? Because we need to know your name if we're going to honour you when it all comes to pass. At that point, the angel says... Why do you ask my name? You can't know my name. In some translations it says, my name is unknowable. In some it says, my name is inconceivable, um, beyond imagination, or too wonderful. And some, some theologians think that that is a hint that it was actually Jesus himself, before he was born, appearing as an angel and giving his message because he is called, he says, my name is wonderful. My name is unknowable. Angels have names. The Archangel Gabriel, Michael, whatever. They have names. He says, you can't know my name, which is a hint that it was God. So potentially it's Jesus. That's up for debate. It's not that the, the sermon does not hinge on that point. Don't get too worried. So he grows up, this boy, and as a Nazarite. And the spirit of the Lord works in him as a young boy. So what that means, I don't quite know. But the spirit of the Lord, something's going on that is spiritual and beyond the natural within Samson as it, while he's a young boy in a place called Mahanadan. So then he grows up to be this enormously strong man. And uh, he sees a girl who's a Philistine in a place called Timnah and he says, I fancy that girl and I want to marry her. And he says to his uh, parents, go and get me that woman. I want that woman now. Um, so uh, they go and they say, okay, fine, we'll go and uh, meet her. So they go, they're on the way. And uh, next slide, please, Dave. The, uh, this ridiculous event occurs where Samson basically, sorry here, but basically Samson goes for a dump. There's no two ways about it. He goes behind a tree, goes around the corner, wherever. He, he breaks from his group for long enough so that he can answer the call of nature. During which time... An enormous lion, a young lion, jumps on him, attacks him. And Samson, again, the spirit of the Lord falls on him. And he rips the lion from its mouth and tears it apart. The Bible says it, he rips it like you would do a goat. which is, And that's how you do it. You get its mouth and rip it apart. So it's a pretty gruesome picture. Suddenly the, a lion came roaring towards him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. And um, 
So he then, that's a strange thing to happen, isn't it? So then he goes back to his family. They go and meet this girl. They go back to uh, where they were from again, having met her. Then they go, okay, let's go and marry her. They all go as a family. They process towards Timna. As they get to the place where the whole lion thing happened, he then goes to see it again. I don't know if nature called again. We don't know. But he had to go and see the lion on his own. At this point, he finds that there is a swarm of bees in the lion's belly, and they're making honey there. Right now, just pause for a moment. That is odd. That is odd. I mean, I'm no biologist, but I don't think that honey tends to be made in the belly of lions. But anyway, that's what was going on, right? So there's a carcass of a lion, and honey inside it with bees there and everything. Samson, again, we don't quite know, but I think because he doesn't really think, he's a bit dim, um, just grabs the honey, probably to make up for the sandwiches he doesn't have at his picnic, and brings it back to his group and gives some to them and whatever. But he doesn't mention to his parents where it was from. Theologians reckon that's probably because it was from a dead body and the Nazarite's not allowed to go anywhere near a dead body. Um, so he goes to this marriage ceremony. He's given 30 blokes to hang out with so he's not Billy No Mates. And um, he tells them a riddle and he says, if I can tell you a riddle and you can't answer it, then you've got to give me 30 outfits. And if I can tell you this riddle and, and you do, uh, and, and I, and sorry, you can't do it, you give me 30 outfits. If you answer it, I will give you 30 outfits. Um, and this, um, so the riddle, the riddle is out of the eater, something to eat, out of the strong, something sweet, which is where that Tate and Lyle's lion comes from, um, on the syrup cans. And um, so they, they want to find out. So they get the girl that he wants to marry to sort of seduce him and say, you know, you've got to tell me what the answer to this riddle is. So she then goes to Samson and says, you've got to tell. So he tells her. She then goes and tells these 30 blokes. They tell Samson he's been tricked. He's absolutely furious. He works out he's been tricked. So his response is to go to a nearby village and kill 30 men and take off their clothes and post them back to these boys who tricked him. So what's also interesting is that the Spirit of the Lord fell on him to allow him to do that. This is a fascinating story, isn't it? Like I said, it's, it doesn't fit our narrative that we understand. It doesn't fit that you can't imagine Jesus do, killing 30 blokes because he'd been tricked by, in a riddle, couldn't you? So it doesn't, where does it fit? It probably, this story raises more questions than it creates answers. But I would just want to invite you as we look through this story to, to don't reject it. Don't reject the fact that it doesn't fit a neat model for you. Uh, and don't let that stop you going further into the Bible, into what God's word has got for us, because it doesn't fit our model. Try and push in if you can. And I can't promise to answer everything, because I don't know myself. So they're obviously annoyed because these 30 guys have been killed. So they marry him off, uh, marry the girl off, sorry, to somebody else. Uh, so then Samson responds, to, you can see this eye for an eye, two for two thing getting much worse. It spirals out of control, this retaliation, revenge thing. So uh, Samson, this is bizarre. I mean, as if the belly of the lion wasn't bizarre. What's bizarre is that he then catches 300 foxes. Now, I can't remember the last fox I went and caught, but rumour has it they're relatively difficult to catch. Anyway, he caught 300 foxes ties them tail to tail together and 
sticks a torch in their tails and sets them loose within the cornfields and vineyards and the olive groves of this place. And as a kind of retaliation then, torches everything that they own, right? So harsh in my mind. I don't know about you, maybe you think that's fair enough. Um, also quite creative though, to be fair to you. Um, so then they respond by burning alive the girl and her father. So this is a, you know, a horrible story. Um, he then attacks many people. Now it doesn't say the spirit of the Lord fell upon him and he killed many people. It then says he attacked many people and killed many people. He was able to do a lot in his own strength. Samson had a lot of strength. And he often just did stuff. He was as God had created him. So it wasn't all from him, but he was able to do stuff just in who he was. And sometimes the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he was able to do something remarkable. So the Philistines then attack Judah. The Judeans get Samson to surrender uh, peacefully because these Judeans, they're Israelites, it's a tribe of Israel. The Judeans then say, come on, Samson, come and surrender to the Philistines because otherwise they're going to invade us and it's going to be a nightmare and you're kind of our leader and it's all a bit awkward. So he says, all right, then I, I, will, I will come. Then you, I'll come peacefully. There's another little Jesus hint there. Uh, his own people come and get him. He's in a cave in a mountainside. They come and get him. They tie him up uh, and they make him surrender himself peacefully. Uh, just like Jesus does in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, but just before he gets to them, uh, to the Philistines, his bonds become easy to break. He snaps them um, and uh, he kills a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a recently dead donkey. Remember, he's not allowed to touch anything that's dead. And uh, he smashes them down. The Spirit of the Lord falls on him and allows him to do that. Then he says a poem which is what most people would do after killing a thousand people. Uh, he says, With a donkey's jawbone I have made, a don- made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone I've killed a thousand men. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's odd, isn't it? So um, he, he then goes off and laments and says, Lord, I'm going to die here having done this great feat in your name. and uh, I'm thirsty, give your servant a drink. Which, is, interestingly, is his first recorded prayer. <laughs> it's just strange narrative, isn't it? It's the first recorded prayer of a guy who led Israel for 20 years. Anyway, God, like he did for Moses, spouts water out of a rock uh, and gives Samson a drink. That's kind of the end of Act 2. Act 1 was his birth. Act 2 is the girl at Timna and then this crazy retaliation thing. Act 3, he goes to Gaza. The leader of God's people decides in all his wisdom and strength and power, I will go to Gaza and sleep with a prostitute, for that is what God's leader does. Um, We're probably getting hints here that he was a bit, you know, liked to just grab what he wanted. He probably wasn't the most disciplined leader. The interesting thing about this story is there's no external commentary or internal commentary Uh, on the story itself. So we have to infer stuff ourselves. We have to read it and get out of it what we can ourselves. You know, in some books of the Bible where it'll say, and uh, Daniel did this, and he did it because of this reason, and it signified this, or whatever. And that's a bit bit more helpful. Uh, We can't do that with Samson. We've got to work it out for ourselves. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, there we go. Um, he goes and sleeps with a prostitute in a Philistine town called Gaza. Uh, they then uh, catch wind that he's there. They want rid of him because he's this enormous, powerful leader. So they say, let's kill him at dawn. Uh, the spirit of the Lord wakes him up, probably. Uh, he goes uh, out and gets to the, he can't escape from the city because the gates are locked, the gates of this city. So he smashes them down, um, rips off the bar uh, across the top and the gate posts and drags them up on his back onto a, onto a nearby hill. Um, that is a, uh, another Jesus hint, just like Jesus carrying the cross up the hill uh, to where he is to be crucified, carrying it on his back. He rips the gates of his oppressors, Samson does, uh, rips the gates down and drags them up onto the hill. Um, he, he wanders off, continues his strange leadership of Israel, and uh, meets a lady called Delilah. Delilah was probably half Philistine and half Jewish. The reason why we think that's probably true is that uh, she was clearly a Philistine because she was in a co-conspirator with them to get Samson. Uh, but she was also Jewish because Delilah was a Jewish name uh, and she was kind of used by both parties. So they think that she was probably half and half. Um, they offer her 5,500 shekels, pieces of silver, to find out the secret of Samson's strength. Um, he gives her a whole lot of fake answers, three answers. Tie me with bowstrings, tie me with new rope, tie my dreadlocks into a big pile. And um, these are fake answers. But he's, getting, he's obviously getting closer with the final one. He says, tie the seven braids of my hair together and you'll, uh, I'll be as weak as any man. Um, he's kind of in, slightly enjoying it. And I wonder whether he slightly knows his fall is coming. He knows that his day is coming to an end. And he's just a little bit enjoying playing with fire. He clearly does throughout his life. Um, but uh, eventually then uh, we see uh, that she gets him to say uh, what his secret is. Because she says, how can you say that you love me? Um, if uh, you won't tell me the secret to your strength. So he told her everything, uh, we see in verse 17, chapter 16. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite, dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as another man. So he gives in. Another little Jesus hint, he's betrayed by a kiss. Okay, it's nothing like the Jesus story. Um, but he's betrayed by a kiss. Um, he wakes, and the Bible says the Lord had left him. He was unaware that the Lord had left him. Uh, and this enormous man wakes, he's tied up. The Philistines are there, they come, he goes, right, I'm going to sm snap my binds again and enjoy this, come back, I'm used to. Uh, but he's not able to do it because the Lord had left him. And they gouge his eyes out. Uh, in some translations it says they attacked his eyes with fire. Um, maybe prongs or something and uh, they bind him with bronze shackles and they might make him grind corn in a nearby mill in a prison again it's another Jesus hint that we see there in, in that he was uh, taken down into the belly of his enemy when Jesus died uh, he was taken, the Bible says he was taken down into the belly of the earth for three days before his resurrection in Samson we see he was taken down into the belly of their prison to grind uh, corn. 
So that's the end of chapter three, and it's a little bit of a bizarre point in the story, and we don't quite know what's gonna, where it's going to end. And it ends very strangely. His hair begins to grow back. God begins to have mercy on him again and show grace on him. His strength begins to return. Now, it mustn't have gone entirely because they needed to put bronze shackles on him so he can't have been completely weak. And again, what my reading of this is that Samson still was a strong man. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put him, uh, you know, when they cut off his hair and they put him in a mill to do the job of two oxen to push round a a mill, uh, grinding corn. So he was clearly still strong. But I guess they gouged his eyes out and they reckoned, well, he won't be able to do much damage. And I think, importantly, he agreed. He felt the Lord has left me. Uh, I won't be able to do anything for God because of what has happened in my story, because of where I'm at. I am, I am now powerless, so I'm just pushing this thing around and left uh, with my strength. But it's no longer bridled for the Lord, so I'm no longer powerful. Anyway, then they say, uh, bring out, next slide, bring out Samson to entertain us. They called out Samson. Um, so they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them, doing some, I would imagine, some sort of weightlifting thing. Well, I don't know what that means. But uh, they're having a temple to their god who's called Dagon. Um, and throughout Judges, Dagon, the Philistine god, and, and our god uh, have a bit of like a ding dong. <laughs> And this is kind of the last hurrah. Uh, and Dagon uh, it has this big temple and they're worshipping Dagon uh, in it. And they say, bring out Samson when they're drunk. Let, it, let us watch him. And in a way, they're kind of um, uh, mocking the almighty God that we know and the God of the Israelites. They're mocking him because they're saying, look, this is his leader, his people's leader. And we have managed to constrain him and now he's just performing like a circus monkey for us anyway Samson performs and then he leans on the pillars of the of the temple and after after that and he prays prayers number two and three that are recorded in the bible and he says lord will you renew my strength one more time so that I might get revenge for my two eyes so even there you see he's eager he's not Even then, he's not saying, Lord, will you renew my strength so that I might get vengeance for you, so you might be glorified. You might expect that kind of language from David next week, but you don't see it in Samson. And that's a bit confusing. He's still just really angry about his two eyes. So he says, give me my strength once more so that I might take vengeance for my two eyes. And uh, then he also prays for death. So those are his two prayers, his his prayers number two and three, and both of them are answered by the Lord because he pushes down the pillars and the whole temple comes crashing down. Inside the temple was all the Philistine leaders, the priests, the kings and whatever, all their um, high officials inside the temple. On top of it, there were 3,000 men and probably women and children on top of that. So they all crashed down and Samson killed uh, more people in his death than he did in his life. When he killed a lot of people in his life. There's another Jesus hint there. The final one is that he finally brings down the temple of the enemy. The temple of evil is destroyed in his death. Uh, Just like Jesus does when he dies and he rises from the dead. And the temple of the devil uh, is destroyed and his power is no longer. But it is interesting, isn't it, that Samson is listed in the... uh, 
heroes of the faith in Hebrews. It goes through all the, he, uh, the, the Jewish heroes of the faith. And he's one of them. And there's lots of amazing people who are not one of them. But he's this kind of anti-hero. This bizarre character. Um, who we don't quite understand the narrative of, of, of why he failed so much. And yet how God blessed him so much throughout it. Um, I wonder, did, what do you think? Did Samson fulfil the prophecies that were spoken about his life? That he would be the deliverer of Israel. Did he do that? Did he deliver them? Kind of maybe he partly did. Was indeed his hair the, really the, the, the secret to his strength? Or had he attached so, so much importance to his hair that it almost became an idol in itself? It became a prideful thing. That he knew that he's this guy with really long hair and everyone knows he's really strong and if they shaved it off he'd be embarrassed. Um, was it uh, ever God's will to kill thousands of people? These are genuine questions which I'm not going to try and answer now, but I want, you to, I want to invite you into that discussion to have in cell groups or around your tables or after this service. Um, but we need to finish. So can the band come up again? We're going to respond to this story. I'm going to draw some conclusions as they come up uh, and lead us in a bit more worship. Uh, Three things from this story that I think we need to take away. Firstly, God is not phased by our failure. I think we are phased by our failure a lot more than God is. He is always more interested in relationship with us and less interested in our failure to keep rules. We will always fail to keep rules and he's always interested in having us back as his children. I wonder if there's any of you today who feel a sense of relief in seeing that story of Samson and his mammoth failure, his, his impressive ability to get it wrong, uh, and yet God's willingness to work through him, to bless him, and to use him in spite of himself. Secondly, I wonder if... Uh, there's any of us here today who want to say, Do you know, I'm going to stop apologising for the gifts that God has given me. If I gave Hannah uh, a pearl necklace and then I heard her saying to her friends, oh yeah, it's rubbish, it's rubbish, it's a rubbish necklace, it's not real and uh, I don't, I'm not going to really wear it, then I would be a bit disappointed. And I think sometimes God is a little bit like that with us when well, rather, we can speak about God's gifts a bit like that. God's given us all these amazing talents and strengths and gifts. And um, yet we're uh, sometimes able to just belittle them and say, yeah, yeah, I don't think there's much in it. I don't think I've got that much to offer. And it's maybe a little bit more honouring to God to say, God has gifted me and I will use those gifts. I do want to use my strengths for, for God for the blessing of other people but I'm going to do that unashamedly um, the final thing is uh, that we are filled with God's spirit for a purpose I don't know if you've heard the phrase filled with the spirit charismatic churches in other words churches who, who are keen to receive the Holy Spirit today talk about being filled with the Spirit and I don't know if you're anything like this but for me personally I find it a little bit 
feeling-based. And I look at churches who don't major on the Holy Spirit, and I think, well, they're more mainly thinking-based churches. And churches that focus on the Holy Spirit are mainly feeling-based churches. And I think we're missing a trick, if that is the case. We are missing part of the story. The truth is, God is real. He lives today. He loves us. And His Holy Spirit is part of Him. It is Him. And He's real too. So we don't want to wipe it away because we don't like uh, to use our minds or our feelings in, in combination. But it more is the truth to say, God fills his people with his spirit for a purpose, not a feeling. You may get a feeling. And you know what? Because God's so good, he would fill you with his spirit just for the feeling, if that's all that you were interested in. But that is not why he does it. He fills you with his spirit for a purpose. Jesus said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me so that I might preach the good news, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, prepare the way. Uh, So... um, John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit so that he might prepare the way. Um, So there is a purpose to why we are filled with the Spirit. And I want to invite you today, if you would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit for a purpose, to achieve more than you can achieve in the strength that God has already given you. So do you want to stand?